0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 117 of the F1 show for coverage of the Hungarian Grand Prix in Budapest. I'm Robin Warner, and I am Jim Lau. And this is the last race before the summer break. There are no
1: races at all for the month of August, so uh, we're just past halfway in the season and uh, had a had a fun week- weekend uh, this you know fun race weekend uh, this time. And uh, now we've got a you know not a long month until we get race coverage again.
0: Absolutely, but. Thankfully, we were left with uh, quite the barnstormer, which is always fun, and we got to see uh, McLaren back in form in a big, big way.
1: Yeah, that, the McLaren coming back on strong was uh, was very cool. But the big, uh, you know, big discussion that's been happening over the past week is all about Red Bull. Red and Bull, and it's been one controversy after another. Right. Um, you know, first it was the throttle maps that those were, uh, you know, being used incorrectly or you know illegally to. Uh, Kind of aid them as as launch control or as kind of traction control. Um, that they you know was it, you know sort of deemed not not really an issue. There was sort of a clarification, but there's no penalty or they're not disqualified or anything like that. Uh, more recently, though, this weekend um, the controversy is all about ride height adjustment and what's you know. The, the rules are that you have to use a tool to get at it. It kind of has to be, you know, not something that you can just dial in uh, ride height adjustment because that makes such a big difference on the aerodynamics of the car. And to be able to change that for how how the car behaves on low fuel versus full of fuel, um, there's definitely some advantages to be gained there. So there were the, the contention was that Red Bull had a way to uh, very quickly manually adjust that without using any tools uh, to adjust the ride height between. Uh, like at the end of the qualifying session before the race, uh, which would gain them a really big advantage in terms
0: of qualifying pace, um, it and effectively it's, allow them to run lower hide, ride height much more often right. than uh, other teams.
1: Right, and I think that, on, on you know, for some teams, it's like okay, maybe there's this maybe there's this tool, you know, maybe there's this this uh, issue, maybe not. Um, but then the fact that you sort of look at what the symptoms of that would be would be really really good. Uh, race uh, or qualifying pace, and you know, really strong starts to the race because then the, the right height is still correct, even though the car is not full of, full of gas. Right, um, and that's what we have seen from Red Bull. So I think that lends a little bit uh, of suspicion. You know, yeah, it's it's not you know, there's not any official uh, blame cast one way or another. There was a lot made of the whole FIA inspectors on the Red Bull car this weekend, but there's always, I mean, every, they do that to every car. It's just sort of this is this is the act of them, you know, actually sealing the car to see if. Uh, you know, they can't make any adjustments without knowing about it.
0: Well, Red Bull's kind of been the go-to team to complain about in a lot of ways in the last couple of years, be it flexible front wings, be it you know something trick with a double diffuser. Be it the ride height issue that's come up before yeah, the last hole couple of years in the floor.
1: when is a hole in the floor actually a hole and when is yeah. it not a slot and and those kind of things and so wasn't there an issue with ride height uh, last year or the year before where there was some gas that they were using? yeah I'm where pretty it sure started it started off tall uh, you know and then would, would sink down over time and right. that was effect, you know sort of they weren't adjusting the car in between you now they weren't touching it, and the rules I think were like no mechanic can make an adjustment, and strictly speaking, no mechanic was, but it was set up in such a way that it happened automatically and that's the kind of you know really call it really clever, really ingenious thinking uh, outside the box, within the spirit of rules, outside of the rules, whatever. But, you know, the the kind of bleeding edge, uh, you know, developments that Red Bull and a lot of the other teams have been doing, which is it's sort of cool to see that, but not really when it uh, is, in a, you know, a foul of the sporting regulations.
0: Yeah, it sounds like rouge bovine trickery to me. And would be interesting to see what comes of this if – more scrutiny comes because now we have a nice big long summer break to do one of two things. Either, one, let it blow up and become this huge thing and Rebel has to completely re-engineer their car. Or two, kind of disappears and vanishes into the ethos and uh, we move on to bigger and better things. Yes, but
1: the to, to bring that up to this weekend, um, because that sort of, that was sort of Friday and Saturday this weekend is when they were talking about that. Possibly related, possibly not. But again, the suspicions uh, do kind of look this way. Where this weekend the Red Bulls were not dominant in qualifying. In fact, Mark Webber was out in Q two, uh, and and then there, you know there was not this dominating open you know first lap performance that kind of thing that, right. that we have seen. So right. whether that's related or that's just you know the usual other variables that are happening in uh, in in any given race. You know we don't really know, but uh, that it, there are you know sort of several things that point that way. But in general, you know, you and I aren't aren't really big on you know taking on rumors and as fact and, and debating right. it from if there. We'll sort in, of, and and we'll the
0: other side of it is, of course, you know, uh, McLaren came out with a major upgrade. Uh, for Germany, happened to be wet, so they didn't really get to take full advantage of it. This was a first dry weekend uh, for them to take full advantage of their upgrade and see what it could do. Uh, Lotus has also been pushing really hard with upgrades, and those were the two fastest teams. Uh, this weekend. So it could also have been a coincidence. And also, again, um, you know, the qualifying Weber didn't get out of Q2 and there were definitely some difficulties. But at the same time, we had another very, very tight Q2 where uh, Hamilton would pull out a bomber of a lap and then everyone else was pretty bunched up. Yeah. So, you know, a tenth or two could have made a big difference in Weber being Q2 versus Q3. So
1: Right. Except it's just usually they do have, they're on the, on the you know, better side of that tenth or two, and uh, and make it in. So speaking of Hamilton, I mean Hamilton really had this weekend buttoned up. Uh, ah, ha,
0: I see what you did there. I didn't even mean to do that. Because
1: Button didn't. Well, he didn't. He was unbuttoned. But you he could was say. buttoned
0: up. Hamil- Hamilton had Button buttoned up. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but you're absolutely right. He I was mean, fastest in um, uh, most of the free uh, free practices, and uh, second fastest when he wasn't fastest. He dominated qualifying, and uh, you know, obviously went on and did very, very well in the race as well. So, you know, his qualifying performance really was uh, 2011 Vettel-esque. I mean, he just he put in flyer laps, not even right at the end necessarily. He put in a flyer lap, maybe two thirds into the session, and then and then just sit on it. And then for Q3, not only did he put in a crazy lap that no one could touch, he then went and repeated something even better, three tenths better than that. So he really was in a class of his own. At least through qualifying. Yeah,
1: I mean his pole position uh, was uh, margin was about four tenths of a second. Yeah. which, As you say, in some parts of the grid, that's a huge number of spots. So that just having that gap over in this case, Romain Grosjean, who was in second place, um, and then you know behind him was Vettel, and then behind him was Button. So to be over his teammate, um, you know, as, as well as all those other guys, and then yeah, they are pretty bunched up in terms of the, the timing, um, and uh, yeah, so it, it, it all came together for Hamilton, and uh, you know we we obviously uh you know everyone who's followed the race knows he was able to hold on to that and turn that into a race victory which is which is great and uh there was definitely some tense moments uh, partly between uh, you know the, with with the team and the strategy calls, I think there were some you know th- there were definitely some mid race strategy. Okay, we're going to go to Plan B, and sort of a little bit of uh, maybe trepidation from the, from the drivers about exactly how that whether that's going to play out well or not. Uh, and then also with uh, a late race charge from from Rogro uh, coming up to uh, looking looking pretty racy. Yes, uh, that, that, that name, makes me laugh every time. That nickname is going to stick. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um,
0: Rogro. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a, like a lawn fertilizer.
1: Yeah, or like a hair loss treatment or something. Oh, it's like, oh yeah, just take Rogro. Oh, yeah, and,
0: you know, I, yeah, that's a good one. I've
1: been taking Rogro. Can you tell? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's the the lotuses though. Really, really uh, came together. You know, came together well for them. I mean, Kimi was fifth in quality, but uh, through some just managing the tires well. You know, calling the uh, the, st- the strategy well with his team and uh, and just outright pace uh, was able to get up there and um, you know had a. I, I guess the best part would be. Uh, uh, you know when he actually you know nearly collided with his teammate, but um, where just you know the the Lotus car for whatever reason just uh, did work really well and uh, with, with Kimi behind the wheel. So I think sort of the the move of the race, if you will, or sort of the moment, because um, you know there overall it was it was a fun race the way it unfolded, but there weren't many really great moments. But uh, when Kimi Raikkonen came out of the pits, you know uh, out of his last pit stop and uh, was. Uh, you know, we we later found out, you know, was actually on his pit lane speed limiter. So it was kind of already, you know, had messed up the end of the stop a little he bit. He was on
0: his pit lane speed limiter after he crossed the line where he needed to be on it by right. five meters. He so said.
1: he's already like a little bit befuddled about like, oh, this is happening and I've got to react to this. And then cuts out on track and then his teammate is right there. I mean, it was very, very, very close uh, with uh, Romain Grosjean coming around the corner. And, uh, you know, sort of, I guess you could say didn't leave him space, closed the door, pushed him out. Um, raced aggressively, maintained the position, you know. It's but
0: Romain uh, made it pretty clear that, you know, he he felt like his teammate did what he had to do and there wasn't any drama. Like, there was no hard feelings. Like, oh, he pushed me off the road. I mean, Kimi was definitely aggressive about it. and uh, But, you know, you could also say that Romain was aggressive about it, but they didn't hit each other and uh, uh, they both ended up on the podium. So, you know, I don't think anyone was too upset at the end of the day. Right. And I have to say, you know, leading into Friday and Saturday, you know, I watched, I watched free practice two, and I watched uh, obviously qualifying. I, I thought Hamilton was just going to completely, completely run away with this race. Right. And it was amazing how tight the race pace was.
1: Yeah, it was. It, it was interesting because uh, it, you know, and it looked like also Button, um, who was basically holding on in third after the uh, after the opening, you know, couple of laps, and everybody got was, a, Well, it,
0: you know, got around Vettel right yeah it didn't didn't hold third gained third right
1: uh yeah you know got around Vettel in the start and uh and was able to hold on to that for a while and then even cycled to the pit stops it was in third um and then you know it was looking really really good for like okay yeah Hamilton is is owning this and he and he was for you know the, for the opening bits of the race I mean he had a good margin and, and it was it was going together well but I guess the uh the tire wear didn't didn't quite work out how they how they wanted it to and uh you know his his pit stops were fine. It wasn't any any glaring error, but it's just sort of I guess the overall strategy, uh, just you know, uh, you know didn't quite get him you know keep him on the gap that he wanted, um, or the way that uh, the the and you know squad with uh, with with Lotus just came together. Um, but basically, yeah, once Rekanen got around Grosjean, it was really just you know he was on fresher tires and had just. He was just ready to go. I don't know what it was. Yeah, he yeah. switched
0: on whatever, but uh but even before that, I mean Romain Grosjean after the beginning you're absolutely right, you know, Hamilton pulled a gap early on at the, without any trouble. But before we got to that, you know, final pit stop uh, timing, the um, Romain was starting to put some pressure on Hamilton. There were times where the gap was getting reduced and it was starting to get a little tighter. And uh what I really felt we saw for both Button and Hamilton, uh, aside from Hamilton's first pit stop, is really tremendous pit stops by the McLaren team, consistently, on average, quicker than the other teams, Mm -hmm. by a good maybe even half second. Um, And, you know, that's valuable time. I mean, for example, uh, the first round of pit stops, uh, you mentioned Jensen Button. Jensen Button's first pit stop was over a second quicker than Vettel's first pit stop. And that played a huge role in Button being able to... To stay in front of Vettel after the first round of pit stops, yeah. And uh, Hamilton's first uh, pit stop didn't go well, but his his other pit stops went very well after that.
1: Yeah. So it's just you know the, you know it almost looked like a Kimi Raikkonen vic- victory today. Um, it seems like it's we're ever closer. And uh, of course, we don't uh, the the F one teams aren't allowed to do any work over the over the break. There's this forced shutdown and all that. So I don't think we're going to see drastically different cars. But for the next phase of the season, um, you know, it's definitely a pretty likely thing that. Uh, uh, you know, a Lotus may find itself at the top. Um, but, you know, who we haven't really talked about here is is Fernando Alonso in Ferrari. Um, it seems like this weekend, uh, you know, he's still in the lead of the championship and actually improved his lead in the championship because yes. because he still ended up ahead of Weber, who's was his main rival. Uh, yeah, out really Alonso well for
0: finished fifth, Weber finished eighth.
1: Yeah, but just, you know, didn't... I think they maybe had had banked more on a wet strategy uh, or or something. Uh, you know, I guess we don't really know um, exactly what the, the calls were, but it's just sort of the... Um, the, the pace in the car, the way the heat and the tires worked, and the whole sort of combination of everything came together. That it wasn't wasn't a bad weekend, and this is what we've always said about Alonso that even no matter the circumstances, he's just going to get the maximum out of it. Absolutely. In this case, that's that's points and that's extending his lead and keeping ahead of Reb- of Webber, which is what really matters. So it was certainly a, it was still a good weekend overall for Alonso. Um, but there's you know in this case not not really on the uh, on the top in terms of pace with uh, you know with the know the Lodi <laughs> if you will over, right. Uh, McLarens and uh, and whatnot, but uh, still able to sort of collect some and uh, well, you know, yeah. I mean,
0: here it is. You know, the, that's that's one thing that Alonso is quite brilliant at is minimizing damage. You know, so he ended up finishing the race fifth. He was never in contention to lead, but he never he never tried to push too hard or really wear out a set of tires to try to overcook something to try to force something mm-hmm. to happen. He ended up finishing fifth. Felipe Massa finished ninth. Not terrible result for him, but nothing spectacular. So al- clearly Alonso was still quick. Um, but not, you know, not so much so that he was trying to get something that was uh, really above what the car could deliver. And uh, as a little side note, speaking of that, since I came up, Alonso is 11 for 11 in terms of out-qualifying his teammate and out-finishing his uh, teammate in the race. Not once has Felipe Massa done either... uh, out qualify or out race, not not once.
1: And you think usually over the course of eleven races, somewhere along the
0: line, you know, yeah. whether it's
1: his fault or not, right? Something Alonzo gets a
0: puncture, or you know, right? Some pit stop goes bad, like Someone even a mistake of him, some kind. Yeah. yeah,
1: And and the fact, yeah, not once. You know, if anything does happen to Alonzo, it happens worse to Masa. <laughs> Exactly. You know, when everyone's dealing with the same weather, Alonzo's just able to make magic happen where where others aren't, and all that. Yeah. So that's uh, that, that's not a big surprise because it's kind of been that way but uh, the fact that that has continued is uh, uh, I guess sad depending on how you look at it depends on how you look at it you know good good for Alonso because he's able to to make that happen but um, yeah and there's been some more uh, as usual rumors about who's moving to Ferrari and is Massa going to stay there and all that and you know, at, at this point, there's not nothing is actually officially confirmed. And yes, there's there's little you know plans are changing a little bit about oh yeah we're not going to renew this extension to have the option to have Massa for this year. And then you know they're talking about even Raikkonen going back to Ferrari now and all that. And I guess you know it's completely hypothetical now. So we could debate who's going to be a good fit where. But ultimately, you know, very few drivers are in a position where they're going to say you know if if I'm if I'm have a race drive and I'm offered something better. Do I have a reason not to take it? Or if I don't have a race drive and I'm offered a race drive, I mean, if there's not a lot of, like, oh, he's never going to race for this guy. I mean, there's a couple right. of pairs of, like, okay, you don't imagine that Alonso and Hamilton are going to be back together again and that that's going to work well. There's a couple of little things. But otherwise, the speculation is, I think, just that. And there's not a whole lot of merit to, is this going to happen or could this happen? You know, in his interview, you know, Kimi Raikkonen was like, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, he's not right. going to, you know, Deny any opportunity, especially if the Ferrari continues to look really, really good, and there's an offer there, and there's you know money, and it can't be that bad being a Ferrari driver. Well, right?
0: and Perez's name has been mentioned again as well, and it's interesting to me because it really depends on what model Ferrari wants to follow. Ferraris always seemed to stay true to the lead driver, backup driver model, at least for a while, and I just have a hard time believing that they could seamlessly go to a model where they have two drivers that expect to both be able to go for wins and championships and have it be a fair game. You know, if, if either definitely if Hamilton were to make that move, but Raikkonen as well, they would, neither of them would be very interested in just being a supportive role. Like I, I think both of them would be reluctantly willing to take that role. If it was clear that Alonso was way ahead yeah, um, to help for that season, but certainly not as a default. And on top of that, let's put it the other way around. What if Raikkonen or Hamilton got in that team and they were the ones doing well? Would Alonso be willing to play the supportive role? And that one I have a really hard time believing. So so Ferrari, if they were to make a move like that, they would have to consider that end. It's like, well, what fundamental philosophy are you going to have as a team? Which makes me think, that they're much more likely to go with someone like Sergio Perez, yeah, whom they can say you're still young, you still have things to learn, so on and so forth, blah blah blah.
1: And then yeah, once Alonso moves on, you'll become who knows? Yeah, right. so that does make a, a good amount of sense. But otherwise, you know, there's been uh, you know Hamilton where he's going to be end up and all these kind of things. There's been a lot talked about, and I think overall, you know, maybe some of these deals, maybe you know, talked about over the. Uh, over august and we we may know more in the coming months but
0: uh well it's fun to talk about but to
1: just really it doesn't matter but it doesn't matter exactly because you know there was this whole big thing with with weber and oh they're not going to renew his contract and oh wait no they did he's at red bull again next year it's like okay that whole thing all the hypotheticals became a non-issue because you know there they go um so uh (laughs) another part of this race um that i want to talk about is uh is the start yes uh which you know isn't didn't end up being a big factor in terms of who won or anything or even really, you know, the the whole strategy. But uh, sort of a definitely confusing and sort of uh, strange start to the race, uh, sort of lack thereof, right? So um, near as we can tell, the sequence of events is everyone comes around the formation lap, comes into their grid spots, but uh, Michael Schumacher is not in the right spot.
0: He was looking for better parking for the old country buffet. He, couldn't find it. He thought there was seniors special parking, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I think he I had see. his silver savings card with him, I and think he I thought I see a that spot
1: was up there. I'm going to go for it." Now, right. So, which we didn't really see on TV because they were sort of showing you know the wide shot of like everybody lining up. So we didn't see where he was if he was just like a couple inches outside of the box or like in completely the wrong spot or whatever. It looked all okay just graphically. Um, so because then they were sort of waiting for the green flag and then the guy and then the, the guy comes across the, the you know behind the field of cars with this green flag but then kind of stops halfway through waving the flag like it's like oh everything's good oh wait no maybe it's not Yeah, so it, it was sort just of this weird miscommunication and i don't
0: know if that was the case or not like i almost you know they the announcers on speed kind of suggested that they, the guy was waving, then he stopped. But the second time around, he kind of waved it in a similar way. I think that guy was just kind of, like, That's just wonky how he, at waving how flags. Yeah. flags. So I, way, I have a feeling Charlie Whiting spotted something himself.
1: Right. So um, with that, and, of course, they've got, you know, GPS and all kinds of other information. You know, they've got the whole mission control of, uh, of you know, everything, all the race data coming in, and they, they have a lot of information there. Right, right. So then um, uh, the Schumacher looks at his, the temps on his car are... You know, are, are sitting way high, so he's not in the right spot, so the whole grid is sort of piling up there, and they're standing there waiting, and of course these cars don't like to be sitting there stationary with no air moving across the radiators, so um, he he switches off the car, I, you know, I guess he says out of some confusion about, or like partly to, you know, to save the car because it's getting really hot, but sort of a miscommunication about... Oh, I guess we're not going to start, so I'm going to switch off the car to save the save temperature
0: so the thing doesn't blow up or whatever. Turns out you need a gold saver's car to get that parking spot, and he had yeah. to move back a couple so of spots. And then he was angry because the buffet was only supposed to be $7.99. It was going to be $8.99. And he doesn't want to seem like a real cheap guy, but he's like, it was more than I was looking to spend on the buffet.
1: Exactly. So so then the whole rest of the field goes I mean, off to do they have a good roast.
0: <laughs>
1: Come on. <now. laughs> so the whole field does does a whole... A whole other installation lap with leaving Michael Schumacher there, whose car is now off, and they yeah. have to push it back. And so then it, it's like he was going to start from the pit lane, but then he, he left the pits. So I don't even know if I no, he I, did
0: start from the pit he, lane, so
1: he did so he didn't come back around because the whole rest of the field did that. So he did, one.
0: oh no, you're right, that's right. They did that, you, no, you're absolutely right. He did get sent off again before the whole field came around, so he was just kind of back there somewhere. Right.
1: So I, it was like all, sort of a half a lap. I mean, I don't know if he made it all the way back around to the pits or yeah, not. The it whole was thing just, was, was just kind of weird, but anyway, so they, they started the race on the second go around
0: so he was gonna be 17th it's not like he had a phenomenal starting position then all of a sudden he's dead last right and maybe not even with the group
1: right he's like a half a lap behind not even like oh all the cars are gone now i'm here it's like i've also got you know t- two miles to did make he up have of. to
0: pass the medical car
1: yeah i don't know i don't uh, that's a good question <laughs> uh i mean he may have made it back around in front of i don't, I don't even know but um then, uh, you know, so so that's already happened. The rest of the race is going on. Then it turns out he was speeding during going, coming back into the pits. So then he's got a penalty for that. Well,
0: so you're, you missed a step. So he he went back in and did a tire change early on yeah. to be right with the regulations. Like, okay, so we switched from the soft right. to the primes. That way, that was like, was, this race is already in terrible right. shape. I Let me well adjust my strategy yeah. and see if I can go long on the first stint, make up some ground. And... Uh, so he sped in the pit lane when he did that stop. So that was his second time in the pits already. So then he had a third time in the pits. Was it a stop or go or just, just a drive, drive through? through. So he had a drive through penalty because of that. So it just really came unraveled.
1: Yeah. I right think. at the beginning. And uh, and then it sort of stayed that way. I mean he ended up, you know, making a couple of positions
0: up, um, but then eventually just retiring. Retired early, finished twenty fourth again for the third time this season. So
1: yeah, it's, again it's you know, arguably not his fault because it's not like it was just a really poor driving performance. It was some miscommunications, possibly right. something wrong with the car and uh, and then just the general, like, once it's gone pear-shaped like that, just, you know, getting everything under composure. I mean, I guess the pit lane speed thing was probably some stupid little thing about switching, you know, the limit around at the right time or whatever. Something that just went a little bit wrong, but Definitely. obviously Schumacher knows how to do pit stops, but just once it all right. goes goes screwy, just went wrong. So it was actually Mercedes' worst qualifying performance since Valencia 2010, I happen to to read. That uh, it was, you know, uh, like you said, Schumacher legitimately qualifying 17th. Just, uh, that's, you know, out in Q1, um, just with the way the time stacked up at the end. And and, uh, and he had, he was on Not out of Q1, Q2. Right. Um, but uh, out... Uh, And it was on what looked like it was going to be a good lap, but then right in front of him was, I think it was Pastor Maldonado that Uh, went off the track, kicked up a bunch of dirt. Kobayashi. I don't know. Yeah,
0: it was somebody Um, put two wheels off in a really dusty spot, kicked up a ton of dirt. He couldn't see anything.
1: Right. Lost some grip. So not like a blocking kind of penalizable thing, just kind of like unfortunate timing and whatever. Right. Just... Yeah, the whole weekend, I guess, is sort of a write-off for Schumacher. But you
0: have to say, too, that it's... I mean, the whole weekend, definitely a write-off for Schumacher, and I think Schumacher is... I, I'm, I'm... My argument, at least thus far, is that Schumacher has been the unluckiest driver um, so far this season. However, um, a very lackluster performance for Mercedes in general. And, you know, they are now fifth in the Constructors' title. I mean, they're... They are a strong mid-back team is the best way to say it, really. I mean, they have... Definitely been surpassed by Lotus. Yeah, uh, clearly uh, Ferrari is definitely ahead of them. McLaren I and mean McLaren and Red Bull are obviously ahead of them. So mm-hmm. you know they're 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 not at the top. And this is despite the fact that Rosberg had a win and a and a second place finish this season, and pff, just it's just not showing in the yeah. car. They they for whatever reason they just cannot gain the ground they want to gain.
1: Yeah, and, and even Rosberg was thirteenth. I mean, you know, not not enough to get out of Q two and so on. So behind, uh, you know, both Force Indias, both Williams, obviously both you know Lotus, Ferrari, McLaren, Red Bull. So yeah, just uh, not not a brilliant weekend for them. Uh, but yeah, everyone's got a bunch of time off. Hopefully they can they can collect themselves and whatever. Um, there is a bit of a comparison, I guess, between. Uh, you know, the the comeback guys, right, between Schumacher and Kimi, uh, both of which, you know, took two years off from the sport and came back. And Well,
0: three for Michael.
1: Um, right. Uh, but uh, just, uh, you know, the the difference, and there's still, obviously there's differences in cars and so on, but, you know, we looked at the, you know, sort of the realigning of everything in Mercedes for Schumacher. It's not just Schumacher's back driving, but it's with Ross Braun, you know, his, you know, engineer from way back, and right. the whole race-winning combination that knows each other, you know, brilliantly and all that. And then the first year, it was like, okay, it's maybe you know, it's his first year. Uh, the car's not really suited for him. Blah blah blah. Uh, then it was the second. year, Oh, this is really going to be it. It's going to be amazing. So it's like all. It seemed like on paper, all these really good. Like it's going to come together. It's just. It's just got to. And it just hasn't. And yet Lotus is so much closer with Räikkönen on his first year of comeback. Um, that's. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to see as a fan. I got to say, you know, we we were close to having our eighth different winner this year in either. Rogro or or in you have to see Räikkönen at the end, uh, but uh, you know it's uh, you know back to to another win for Hamilton.
0: Right, absolutely. Now, uh, going uh, from uh, bad luck to silly silly driving, uh, I guess we we do have to spend another moment with uh, our dear friend Pastor Maldonado.
1: Yeah, and not a particularly silly situation this time. Not, not I don't think egregious. Uh, Well, the only thing silly about
0: it, I suppose, was Pastor's comments after everything happened. I mean, basically what it was is Pastor went for a pass. He went for the pass late. It was a deep pass, but it was a potentially brilliant move. Problem is mid-corner, right before, right on the apex, Pastor lost control of the rear of the car and oversteered a bit. And that, that ended up tracking him out a little bit, and he ended up... He ended up punting DeResta off the track. Right. DeResta's car wasn't damaged. It, he just exited off the track and four wheels off and went right back on. It was a paved, paved up area. It was, it was not a big deal, but it was still. It was just a sloppy move. Right. And uh, Pastor ended up getting a drive-through penalty for it. Totally justified. I mean, he went he went for a move, and it wasn't, it wasn't, equal parts. Duresta trying to defend and Pastor trying to make the pass that caused the collision. It was Pastor diving in late. I personally don't think I think it would have been a brilliant pass had he pulled it off, but I I don't think it was like egregiously late and dangerous or anything like that. But I do think but I do think it was definitely his responsibility to keep control of the car and not slide into Doresta and the fact that he didn't means penalty was justified. So, yeah, but for the, him to say he had no idea the, why he didn't yeah. get the,
1: the the annoying part comes at the very end right. is is when he says I have no idea why I was penalized. Right. But, you know, I was. It's just like that. It's like come on. You know, it's it's you, like you say, You sort of got to if you're going to try a move like that. It's it's this fine line, and that's why right. these guys are the top in the world. And you know, I'll go right. through everything that they go through and and get paid what they do and everything is because you know the ability to make that decision in a you know split second of. Can I can I pull this off? What's the best way to do this? Should I take the inside or the outside? Can I hold this? You know, what's what's going to happen in making that decision? And that's the kind of thing that we talk about Alonzo being so good at right. is in the moment, Absolutely. just making the right call so much of the time. And that you know that so that's you know there's been discussion obviously back and forth about by Maldonado for months now um and it's ranged from <laughs> you know he's a lunatic and completely dangerous driver and he's going to get someone killed down to it's not his fault and he's t- he's just fine everybody stopped picking on him whatever and and everything in between but i think what it sort of boiled down to is you know he's still straddling that line between an aggressive racer and you know i guess um, maybe immature is, isn't the word but you know it's just not either over uh, the lack like, of discipline yeah like whether, yeah, if it's, if it's an overestimation of his own ability where he'll start something that, like, if he can do it, would be great. But it's like, if I can drive a, a race car really fast, that would be great, too. But I, I can't. So, right. you know, like, it's just, it's sort of this, this you know, miscalculation of, of the ability or of the situation or the tires or whatever. And um, that, yet again, it's just fallen on, uh, on uh, you know, where it just kind of went slightly wrong. And uh, the and fact that he says I have no idea why right. is what's sort of the worst you and know, the most annoying part of it.
0: Extra disappointing for me because I have been defending Maldonado a bit. You know, that when this whole thing started with the whole Hamilton incident, I definitely, truly believed that uh, you know Maldonado didn't get a fair shake there. Why, why are you bringing up old? stuff? No, no, no. Hold on. Let let's let's <laughs> just hold on now. And then you know, as it progressed, you know, I just to a certain extent played the role to defend him a little bit. Um, you know, Not that I didn't believe what I was saying, but that it was a l- becoming a little bit more of, well, this is the role I've established for myself. I've been labeled a countryist by some for um, some of my positions. And uh, so it's extra frustrating me because it's like, here's an opportunity where it was clearly he was in the wrong. He made a mistake and he couldn't just own up to it and be like, yeah, I made a mistake. You know, it, that's what was frustrating. Right. Anyway, we can move on from that. Uh, uh, Jensen Button. Had a great result uh, last week in Germany. Uh, Ended up finishing second officially, even though he was a third one to cross checkered, you know, meet the checkered flag. Um, Drove a great race, seemed like the car was turning around for him and he was going to be back again. Qualifying this time around, he had nothing for Hamilton. He was way off Hamilton's pace, but so was everyone else. And uh, ended up qualifying fourth. You know, pretty reasonable job. And like we talked about at the beginning of the race, great jump in the race. Um, got around Vettel for third. Um, was able to hold hold that with uh, great teamwork um, after the first round of pit stops. But then he pitted a second time mm-hmm. and got stuck behind Ireton. Uh, <laughs> He's got stuck behind Bruno Senna in the Williams. Could not get around him. Now, right. Budapest is a hard place to pass. We all know this. That's fair. That's fair.
1: And everyone can make the argument of who's a good passer and who's hard to get around. But at the end of the day, they're all F one drivers, and it's it, you and know
0: DRS and everything else. Right. And if there's one guy you can get around, and Bruno did well today, we're not trying to take anything away from his performance. He did a very good job today. Um, but that, to me, was a little bit defining. It was like Jensen still isn't quite because if he was really on his game, he could have made he could have made his way around.
1: Or so is it Jensen and his you know how his oneness his to the game, or is it, you know, is it still... Because there were a couple of front-wheel lockups, you know, if it was still some some of the, you know, it's like the, the update, of course, has helped, but it's not like it's just a a binary switch, and it's like, this is a problem, and now well, it's not a problem.
0: this was, they were fighting for 7th, not 14th, when all this was happening, so that alone so, is yeah, an improvement. So, yeah, already it
1: was, and that was just after the pit cycle, but it, it just, you know, and, and then eventually Senna pulled off, and, and, you know, Button was able to to move forward a little bit, but it was just... He was stuck behind him for so long. And the, the, you'd think with the, the delta that was that was there between their lap times that he would have been able to find a way to get around. Yeah. You know, we've mm-hmm. got Kurs, Durs, Turs, and whatever. Um and it's just it's still it was very frustrating because that was sort of that was the whole strategy for Button at that point was I'm gonna go on to soft tires now, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this happen, make up a bunch of positions. Right. Um it's gonna be great. And he just ended up stuck behind uh Bruno, who's also on the harder tires.
0: Yeah. So it's like right. sort exactly. of a double
1: whammy that it's a sort of you know, a lower caliber of car, um, you know he's not a world champion driver and so on, you know, uh, and, and also the tires were in his favor and, you know, with DRS to be able to pass him. it's like, you really think that you should be able to make that happen. And the fact that he was stuck behind there and uh, his rivals were moving forward, um, you know, during that whole time, then uh, it really just sort kind of, you know, messed him up to, uh, to, to continue on and do well. And, you know, ended up, uh, finishing sixth, so uh just one spot above above Senna, but um you know, pretty well far behind Alonso and Vettel and you know, the rest of the guys. And
0: again, he had a couple opportunities. Now that one's that's a much tougher sell passing Alonso, especially on a track like Budapest. But he had a couple opportunities there and he couldn't capitalize either. Right. And, you know, theoretically, at least in the Hamilton's hands, the car was much faster than the Ferrari. So that that part was a little bit frustrating. But we will we will I will qualify that by saying Senna was having a really good race this race weekend, and Budapest is a difficult place to pass. And we saw a lot of trouble. A lot of people have trouble, even in the DRS zone, with passing. There right. was not a lot of passing because uh, the DRS zone was on the main straight into Turn One. Very few passes into Turn One. Yeah, despite the DRS being there, we saw some there. great passes,
1: but not there. Right. <laughs> so whether the right.
0: like DRS helps to uh,
1: to get the cars closer, and then and then saw some cool moves that you know it could have been, but uh, yeah, overall it wasn't. Uh, you know where it was Valencia you know was sort of transformed this year into a really really fun race just with the combination of everything um but even the DRS and whatever just the, the nature of this track I mean even there's the one straight the front straight and otherwise it's really you know all all bends and curvy and whatnot and uh yeah it wasn't really enough to make a, a really really big difference uh in terms of DRS at the end of the uh, at the end of the main straight for for passing so um disappointing but not like, you know, he's sixth and not sixteenth right. for button. So it's it's definitely, like, still on the, the forward trajectory. Of course, I sort of went big and, fig- and was kind of excited in terms of predictions uh, to go button all the way, and that hasn't quite paid off for me, <laughs> but, you know, could have done worse um, with uh, with the qualifying and, uh, and race pace and whatever, so um, so that's okay. But talking about DRS for a second, and the other thing, the other factor in these passes is curves, all right? Uh, we haven't talked about this in a little while, because it's, it, you know, it's been in the sport for a couple of years now. Right. But um. I guess I want to kind of take a step back from from that for a second, and think about you know what what is KERS doing for us these days,
0: right? So well, it's a kinetic energy recovery system, so it recovers the kinetic energy, right? So and then you can press a button and you get it back. So when it first
1: came in, it was two thousand nine, and I think four car makers used it. Yeah, Ferrari, Renault, BMW, and McLaren were the only were the only team. So everyone had the option of using it. And it was okay. You can have a
0: uh, and Renault ditched it,
1: right? And well, Renault and um, I think was it BMW also, yeah. Renault and BMW stopped using it, so it was just McLaren and uh, and Ferrari that ended up using it. But um, and then you know, so they which they did have a couple of race wins and pole positions, so they were able to ultimately kind of make it work. But overall, so the whole thing was, um, I think, a marketing exercise as much as anything saying okay these cars are hybrids in a way um and
0: they are i mean legitimately so right
1: um and you know we're we're using electricity and whatever um but from a you know competitive standpoint i think they were sort of trying to spin it as like this will this will really liven things up and this will really be great
0: because some people will have curves in some places when other people don't right and you
1: know the where the where the weight on the car is and there's all kinds of little differences and whatever um and when there, when some cars had and some cars didn't, then that was sort of you know an, an interesting dynamic, kind of like when we had two tire manufacturers, and it was like sometimes one would work better than another. Some cars were better suited; there were different you know characteristics, and that was just another element to the whole story of of a race win or um, a championship and everything from there. But so with so with KERS, it was it was '09. A couple of teams had it. 2010, it was still legal, but everyone decided like it's not worth it. Let's not do it. Right. Which sort of. Tells the story almost in itself, where if it's like it's like yes, we have this rule and it could be great, but everyone has decided that it's just not it's not worth it for you know a competitive for you know competitive reasons.
0: You know if there. Well, were- yeah. So there's there's two sides to it, right? There's there's the obviously there's advantage in straight line acceleration, but that's highly regulated and limited. But then there's the disadvantage of weight, and it's t- in two different ways. One is it makes it it adds weight to the car in places you don't want it, and two, um, it's fixed, so you can't move it around like bias. So, uh, ultimately, the cars could still be made and still be under the minimum weight, but it raised the center of gravity of the cars, and it it changed the weight bias flexibility of the cars. So, it was a hindrance, a serious hindrance in many ways, because these these were like 40-kilogram systems. Yeah. So, you know, there was a real disadvantage to having it. And then you'd get maybe two or three tenths on the French Radarway or whatever it was worth because it was so highly limited. Yeah.
1: Or sometimes the system would break, and you'd have to hop from a car that was electrified and dangerous. And people
0: would have to wear dishwasher gloves to you'd touch have the car. Failures
1: and yeah. So the fact that you know so and in 2010 when everyone moved away from it, and then it's basically it's back now. Um, where in 2011 where they changed the minimum weight to try to you know even that out for everyone. Right. Um, and and now everyone is on. You know everyone has KERS, which in my mind kind of neutralizes the whole thing because if everyone's got it, there's a little bit of a difference the driver can make in terms of where he uses it on the lap. But again, it's like something like this, uh, you know, Jensen Button, Bruno Senna thing. It's not like he was able to parlay that into like, if it could store it up for multiple laps and then come up with a run and do something really creative or, you know, really different. It's like, you know, it's the regulated amount of horsepower for a regulated amount of time and Everyone's got the same regulations and right. resets in the same place for And everyone. everyone
0: can easily make that. It's not like it's a hot, an aspirational level that's the limit. You right.
1: Know? So it's like ultimately, I think, kind of balanced out. I mean, it's been very few times, I think, in the last two years when everyone's got it where it's like, wow, KERS really made the difference there. I mean, DRS, definitely. The tires, for sure. You know, there's been lots of other things. Right. But but the KERS has uh, really it's, – it's like the same for everybody. So now it just becomes this really expensive system that everyone does all this development work to, to work on uh, and,
0: and to develop. Um, and well, and then you take a look at something like Lamah too, where they were having hybrid systems as well, and Toyota's hybrid system and Audi's hybrid system were hugely different systems, right? And the role they played on the car were were quite a bit different and much more important. And I think what you're saying is is absolutely true: is that they're basically irrelevant systems. That's the same for everyone. So there's no real; it doesn't add to the show. Well, what the cars aren't to? really technically. They're not technically more advanced, technologically more advanced, but they could be. Like, I, the concept could still be amazing, and I think that's what you're right. getting well, at. Well,
1: and, so, and part of it, so what the advantage should be is like, okay, hey, these cars are hybrids. Isn't that cool? This is part of, you know, moving technology forward and all that. And we've seen a couple of talks about it, like, a, you know, a Jaguar with a curve system on it and some things. But with so few actual automakers in F1 right now, there's not, you know, uh, like, big, you know, curves available on road cars. I mean, it's been out for, what, four years now or whatever. Um, So to be able to, you know, it seems like...
0: I mean, most, a lot of modern production cars, hybrid systems are in many ways more advanced than what's on the Formula One car anyway.
1: because they're not limited in certain ways. But even in like a performance mode, I mean, I guess some of the high-end Lexuses that have like the LS where it's, you know, more for performance of, of, you know, not even amazing fuel economy because they're not. But it's just, you know, the way of managing power and so on. Um, But you know, None of them are really sold as curves. So I think F1 isn't even making the hay that they could be making out of the fact that they have curves. I mean, you know, have you ever talked to a, a race fan or, or someone who's not a another, race fan?
0: Another farm metaphor exactly. mixed in in the afternoon. You, know,
1: you can imagine someone who's like, oh, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really big on racing. You know, I'm really, I really care for the environment. And you go, no, 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 check it out. They're using KERS. They're using it's electric, it's hybrid. They're developing technology. And has that person been like, oh, cool, I'm going to watch it now? I mean, has that actually made any difference?
0: Yeah, I mean, but that's because of the limitations. If if KERS, if they had an open, open format for KERS and KERS was like engines were highly regulated, but the more money, the more power you can make out of KERS, use it. It's yours. That would be really incredible.
1: Because then, yeah, then I think you would you would have innovation and back to the point where, we're like, we used to have with engines, where it wasn't a freeze of engine technology. It was like, try. If you can get more out of this fuel, then go for it. And right. sometimes it would work, and it would be amazing. We'd have disparities. People would have, would, would have development that would catch up. Sometimes things would go terribly wrong, and that was part of the game they had to play, was trying to manage that. So if we were back to that, but with Kurz, where it's like, hey, you know, we can... We can generate more power, but we have to change the way our brakes work so we lose a little bit of time there, but we can gain it back on this other place, you know, changes the dynamic of right. things. That, that could be
0: fun. And also... And, and some teams might say, I'm going to take an extra 200 horsepower for short bursts of time, and other teams might say, I'm going to take an extra 50 horsepower for the entire lap right. or whatever. So, I mean, like, you so you could see those different types of strategy calls yeah. being made as well. So, But it seems like right,
1: the way it sits right now, I guess we're, we're in agreement on the way it sits right now, is it's that... Um, you know, because of the limitations that it has, and and because of the way it's being marketed, or I think not really being sold as part of what's cool about F1, uh, it's really not not gaining anyone anything. I think it just makes the drivers that much busier. Of mm-hmm. you know, it's another thing to deal with, another another button they have to press. They've already got the rear wings and all the other you know brake bias and diff adjustments and all the rest of the things they've got to do on a lap. Let alone you know throttle, brake, and steering. <laughs> And, uh, and, and so it's, it's these more buttons to press, more stuff to manage, another system that can break, and, and yet you know, we can't really innovate in that area. Right. And is so it making
0: just... the environment better? No. Is it making the racing better? This is what you're saying. No. Is it making uh, Formula One more visible to the general public? At least in the United States, no. It's not serving any practical purposes. It's just costing people money. It's just adding weight to the cars. It's not really... Adding any value anywhere. Yeah, I mean, the, the environment issue is, is really interesting because, you know, a much bigger impact
1: to the overall, you know, carbon footprint or environmental footprint of, of uh, an F1 race or, uh, you know, any event um, is, you know, is like all the fans driving their cars, like, you know, 100,000 people descending in whatever. Dirty, dirty, dirty um, is, is So it's like the, the actual, you know, 24 cars going around a racetrack for two hours is, is one Part of fuel use, but then all these other cars. You know, when you think about a, a race, especially here in the U.S., with all the RVs and these giant rigs and yeah. all the stuff that's going on, and, I, and I've read that you know the Tour de France actually has a much bigger carbon footprint than an F1 race because so many people drive across the country or drive from wherever to go. You know, be along the lines of the stages. There's so many people that can spectate across around the whole country of France. Right. That uh, you know that all these people just driving normal road cars that get whatever economy. You know, it's a much bigger deal, even though, yes, the actual competitors are riding bicycles, and they're great for the environment. So, it's and just... Yeah, you
0: could, I mean, you go so, the other way and say Bernie Ecclestone's private jet probably uses more fuel than right. the entire Formula One race does. And, and
1: that is something that, you know, if, if F1 were to make a push with, you know, the way they have the, the, uh, the money with the circuits and everything right now, is, it means that, you know, as a track owner, is really not a lucrative position to be in at all. You're in this weird balancing act of, like, F1 needs millions and millions of dollars to say, I'm going to hold this race here. I'm just trying to make up whatever money I can on ticket sales and, and telling selling T-shirts and just trying to get a percent of a percent of whatever. But a lot of these places are losing money and only supported by local governments and all that. But if uh, if you know if, if part of the F one push in, in their image were to say, hey, we've got this track and we've we've helped we've worked with the track to you know get really good fan access, you really good public transportation, so everyone you know we can we can really cut down on these things.
0: Port Imperial Street Circuit,
1: right? I mean, that's a good one. That, that's that that's a very good point. And uh, check it, out our
0: video on YouTube.
1: Yeah, really, you visit YouTube and uh, read all about what we say about that. But that's a good example because that's something that can change the way a fan sees it. Is not. It's this huge cluster challenge of traffic. I mean, look at Silverstone this year, for example. Right. You know, how many more fans did they get that are going to say, this was amazing. I want to do this again. Or how many people are like, wow, that's not worth it. I'm going to watch it from home next week, next year. Um, versus uh, saying, you know, hey, this this is actually something that's helping the environment. It makes it better for fans. You know, it doesn't change the competition on track, but neither does Curz as it sits now any, either. And uh, is it really something that kind of, I think, would, would make some sense.
0: Yeah, agreed. So... Uh, it was a fun little uh, conversation to have about that at the end. I mean, nothing really specific, um, uh, kind of that more the, just another build up of what is this system really doing? Now, there's 2014 rules coming and an opportunity to make CURS way more relevant, um, you know, in terms of the environmental impact. I completely agree with you, Jim. But in terms of like, okay, well, if we have this CURS thing, how cool can we make it? Well, there's still lots of potential, and, uh, you know, I think uh, the Le Mans, uh, the Le Mans model is something worth looking at in terms of, like, okay, let's give them, there are some rules. Like, for example, uh, Audi uh, made their e-tron an all-wheel drive car. Right. But uh, Le Mans said, okay, well, you can't use the front wheels until you get to above 67 miles an hour. I don't know why 67, but... Yeah, you know, It it's 67's, 110 kph, but I don't know why they picked 110. Right. But for whatever reason, they, you know, said that. But So you can still restrict it, but that wasn't enough of a restriction to keep Audi from trying to develop something cool. You yeah. Know, so. so it was like, still do something cool. We're going to make sure it kind of
1: doesn't give you some unfair advantage or whatever, but it's still cool in a way. And, yeah, so for 2014, um, KERS will be going from uh, 160, uh, will, will increase um, to it'll be be doubled from 80 horsepower to 160 horsepower in terms of the boost that they give. Um, and then, you know, that's also in line with going from, you know, the V8s that we've got now to 1.6 liter V6s. So it'll be a very different powertrain for everyone. But again, everyone will have the same thing. So it's, you know, we'll we'll have to see, I guess, if, if that dynamic of having doubled the power boost. I mean, 160 horsepower boost is... Well, that's a much bigger in terms of percent of the whole power. Well, and all actually, that.
0: you got to be careful with that. It's not going to be double the power boost because you got to look at it as a ratio. They're going to be making less horsepower from the engine in the first place, so that 160 horsepower boost will actually be, ratio wise, a big boost. Right.
1: Right. So, um, you if, know, so, if the, so if
0: the engines make, let's say, 600 horsepower.
1: So, right, so choosing where to use that on track and how I use it, may, yeah, will be a bigger you know differential to not using it. And uh, so yeah, that that may be part of the fun. But even so, there's no advantage for one team to develop a system that works better than another one because everyone can make a team that meets this minimum, make a system that meets this minimum rule. Right. So, you know, what if, you know, Caterham had some technology partner and they were like, hey, we're able to make something that makes, you know, 300 horsepower and it still weighs, you know, meets within right. the rules and whatever. Right, exactly. Wouldn't that be cool? And that would give them an advantage and that would push the other guys forward and, you know, maybe they could, you know, get a really good result out of it and that would be a great story for them to say, we, we engineered something that's amazing. So, that all kind of goes against the resource restrictions and all the cost, you know, because then right. if, then you can get back into an arms race. But that's what's fun about F one, right. you know. It's I know. like I don't want it, to. It's lame once once everything is frozen and nothing's right. getting better or getting different.
0: Right. Right. Exactly. So, well, that's our take anyway.
1: Yeah. So that's obviously my take and, and yours. But I'm curious uh, what our fans think out there. Uh, somebody I'm sure has. Uh, opinions about this one way or another maybe someone is a big curs fan and they're like oh no the curs system as it is is great that's why i got into f1 so if if you're out there we'd love to hear from you and uh, get some different perspectives on this Uh, so basically visit f1show.com and you can comment on the podcast right there and uh, find links to twitter and facebook and youtube and all the other fun stuff that we do and in the meantime we've got plenty of listener feedback from our previous show
0: So, yeah, we actually had a bit of a debate going on on F1Show.com, 13 comments on uh, episode 116. And it was a little bit of a debate about uh, the whole Vettel pass on button, the legality of it, and the whole thing. And uh, so a big thanks to F1Shift.net, Eric Signal, uh, The Kilt was in, in in on this, as well as um, um, Mark Whalen and uh, Reese. I want your baby's Milford, which I'm not exactly sure that I want your baby's part is there for. But hey man, that's, that's got his name. Th- everyone's
1: got their internet name.
0: Anyway, uh, basically, it was a bit of a back and forth on the whole exact issue of what happened between Vettel and Button. You know, our take is on it, and that is that you know it was pretty straightforward. He was off the track. That was deemed illegal, and that was pretty legit thing. Um, I think there's definitely a lot of argument that can be made that oftentimes. Um, <clears throat> going off track isn't an advantage. So if you somehow pull it off, regardless of going off track, that you've done a brilliant move and you shouldn't be penalized for that. But in this particular case, since it was a uh, um, uh, it was a race with uh, weather, because it's a paved um, because it's a paved uh, runoff area, and because it was coming out of a hairpin, there was actually definitely an advantage. Of being outside that line and able to accelerate the way it was that 's our take on it, but either way, it was a great discussion, and uh, we full and fully encourage those kind of debates and we all always like to remind everyone to you know respect each other as f one fans in general and uh, you know not to worry too much about getting mired in the details sure Does that makes sense, something like that either way it was a good bit. debate
1: and and thanks for for weighing in everyone on that for sure
0: yeah and exe- i mean <laughs> Mark Whalen's, you know, his input was Maldonado did it, which was probably true. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, fair enough. Um, we also had an email from Lori Jordan, who we replied, replied to our Taste of the Race uh, call out. She said she was so inspired uh, by Josh Anderson in the previous post that we did about Taste of the Race that uh, she had to. Look into her own taste of the race for yes. Germany, and uh, again, I can't check F1 show emails without getting really, really hungry now because these <laughs> pictures she sent, it looks amazing. So it's all—it's it's all this German food. So she's got, uh, you know, brisket with like you know these potatoes and cooked in beer and and all you know this boiled cabbage and sausages and all all, all kinds of stuff that just looks really, really good. And I've now gotten very hungry by looking at this, so um, I, we need to, uh, you know, keep moving
0: the show forward so that we can actually <laughs> go get Hungarian
1: food. But you know exactly. everything from yeah. Brisket, carrots, spatzel, oh, the whole thing, man. And, and we did
0: enjoy quite the uh, German feast ourselves, um, uh, but you know, we we purchased said feast. We did not cook it. Right.
1: Yeah, we weren't we weren't quite uh, to that level. Right. Um, also got an email follow up from uh, Paul Alston, who um, was the guy that made the uh, little sort of spreadsheet breakdown of the Meldenau yeah, incidents
0: and, and the blame and whatnot. Put numbers behind uh, kind of the incidentals and the anecdotal things we've been talking about, and uh, you know he. He says, yeah, hey, he's really happy to hear from us talking about this. And uh, the, so the one thing I do want to clarify, because I don't think that came out terribly clearly, I certainly in no way was trying to suggest that uh, Paul Austin or, or anyone was, like, willingly trying to bake bias into what I'm they were sure doing. i pretty you
1: said that everyone in the U.K. was, was right. subpar and really taking not as, good as Taking as aside
0: my countryist positions, I think that's on what, like, you were saying. what I was saying is that everyone built into just how they do things the way they do them has built in biases it's not a willful thing so my point was is that that there's, there's built in biases in charts like that and like to do like a truly statistically relevant chart you know takes a lot of effort and a lot of like random things cuz a good friend of mine does a lot of this stuff and it's like to do it really properly takes well, I don't a know lot of if effort. you can
1: with this because it 's assigning blame, and ultimately the decisions this is not like we change this component for that component, and is there a difference, or is this a scientific study about how a drug works or something it's this is you know what was going through in this guy 's mind and what was going in this guy 's mind so i don 't know if there is a completely unbiased way right uh, because it's ultimately it 's human decision making on both right. sides exactly. to say that, but I just think it was cool sort of to you know, put some numbers behind So anyway, uh, we we talked about that last time, but uh, so he said, Yeah, so lunatic was was maybe too strong a word, but that's just tongue in cheek anyway. It's not that you're not actually trying to, you know, right talk about his mental Paul state, wasn't, it's just how Paul wasn't you know. trying
0: to literally say that <laughs> he belonged in a mental institution. But where
1: where he talks about he says, you know, do I still think that Pastor Maldonado is a hazard? Yes. But is that because he's a bad driver or because he's passionate for the sport and maybe trying a little too hard right now? Time will tell, and I think that's really the, the key that uh, yeah. you know we're talking about is this is, is this not necessarily this guy is dangerous, get him off the roads, whatever. It's this is just sort of like he's still finding that balance, and he and his team, and if his sponsors and his team are still happy with what's going on, then that's the deal. If uh, you know it becomes a, a bigger issue and, and whatever, then maybe things will change. But that uh, you know that's, that's sort of maybe this is this is his style, and he's he's figuring it out, um, and uh, and goes on from there. So uh, you know, thanks for the the email follow up on that, and uh, you know I, I do think it's. Uh, you know, a, a fun way of, of sort of part of what we do is, right, is take whatever information we have and distill it and chop it up in different ways and try to learn what we can from it, and uh, that's all part of the fun.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. And then, of course, on the Facebook page, things are continuing to be amazing there, and it's it's a party, basically. And uh, one um, one little thing I actually want to note on our YouTube channel, our uh, Port and Street Circuit video is at 19,750 views. So we've had just under 20,000 people watch our uh, Port and Street Circuit lap. So that's I where we, really yeah, cool. uh,
1: with with Without any close to traffic or anything, where we took a car and drove around the circuit as, uh, as, as it's laid out as best we could. And, uh, and, you know, try to tell you about it and, and analyze the circuit as much as we can. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely go to, go to F1show.com. There's a click on the YouTube link right there, and you can see it. And, uh, yeah, it'd be cool to get over 20,000 views with all that. And, uh, you know, hopefully people uh, like what we're doing there. And there's also the outtake reel and some other fun stuff on there as well. So uh, if you're looking for us, walk, us being goofy, outtake, whatever, there's yep. uh, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but I know you're probably excited about predictions. I'm not quite so excited, but <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's get, those, get those going. Let's do it. So it's time for predictions to see if you and I are any better at predicting what's going to happen, who's going to be on pole, who's going to win the next race. If we're any better than a simple statistical model, which just looks at whoever was on the poll last time and whoever won last time, and to compare ourselves against our fans and see if they're better at picking what's going to happen next.
0: Thanks again to the predictions stud. Right. No thanks to Damien, the predictions model.
1: Right. So this time, we had just our last race just a week ago. So it's like, you know, right on the heels of all this. Performances aren't going to change that much. Sort of a, you know, a more, an easier prediction where today we're going to have to predict for something that's going to happen a month from now. Right, right. But um, let's, let's run down what happened for Hungary.
0: So the statistical model uh, said, oh, Fernando uh, Fernando was on pole for the race uh, in Germany and won the race in Germany. So Fernando Alonso is going to be on pole for Hungary and win in Hungary. Uncor- Uncorrect. <laughs> That's the word I was going for. <laughs> Perfect. Uncorrect being an incorrect way to say it. However, uh, Fernando Alonso could do no better than sixth in qualifying and ended up finishing the race in fifth giving him a total of nine points for the event. Uh, you, on the other hand, I credit where credit's due, you went a bit on the bold side. Oh, you yeah. said Jensen Button is back, and he is going to uh, go into the summer break with a big bang and a win. And uh, so he's going to start from pole and win the race. He did not do that. He was able to re- qualify a respectable fourth, but as we talked about earlier in the podcast, just was not having... The pace that we were hoping he would have ended up finishing behind Alonso in sixth. You ended up getting a total of eight points for your efforts. Still beat the statistical yeah, model. Yeah, not
1: brilliant, but better than Damien. Yeah. That's, that's really what You're matters. ahead of
0: Damien, which is ultimately the, uh, uh, the most important thing. At
1: least I didn't have Schumacher, you know, for, for,
0: the, for the win or anything like that. <laughs> you know, it could have gone a lot worse than it did. Right. Um, now, I, on the other hand, well, I mean, I think everyone knows what I oh, did. because. <laughs> I had Hamilton on pole and Hamilton to win the race because I said, no, this is his time. He's he's earned it. And I was absolutely right. And I couldn't believe how right I was in qualifying, the way he just owned it. And he had a tough time in the race. I really thought that uh, we might be seeing Raikkonen uh, in front there uh, for a little while, but it worked out. So I only collected zero points, sir. I did handily win this round. Thank you very much.
1: You did well. Credit where it's due. But. We need to talk about Spa. That is the race that is happening. It's not until September. Well, I guess Friday practice is, is the last day of August, but right. September the sounds like itself. it's so far away, but it's, it's really rapidly approaching, isn't but it? But it's kind of far away. It's <laughs> kind of far away still. Uh, yeah, we've got a lot going on between now and then, but uh, either way. Yeah, um, so it's it's Spa. It uh, is. Kimi Raikkonen actually has the lap record from 2004. Ooh. Not that that means anything now. But
0: Interesting tid bit.
1: Yeah, th- that is a bit of tid that we now have. Um, so, uh, all that said, I don't think the cars are going to change a whole lot between now and then. But there well, is well, they're know, legally
0: they're, not allowed to. Well, there's
1: a there's still the week of that's not the shutdown, but like once they're in Friday and whatever, I think right, there's like sure. a little bit of they can. But anyway, right. So the question is, is Ferrari going to be back at it? Is uh, you know McLaren going to be strong? Is Red Bull going to get themselves figured out and get their ride height dialed in correctly or, or whatever? I mean, it's actually kind of a tough game right now. There's no. There's, there's, right. It's,
0: it's it's tough. Well, and on top of that, this is a. I mean, you know, you can kind of ease your way from Silverstone to Germany and from Germany to Hockenheim. There's kind of a trend you can follow just a little bit. Spa is a huge base track, very fast. It's a very different place than uh, Budapest, certainly. Yeah. You know, um, Silverstone was fairly quick place, so maybe that's not a terrible benchmark. But we've had you know big updates in Germany. So, where, where are you thinking? Michael
1: Schumacher. No, I'm just kidding. Um,
0: <laughs> don't put me down for that. So, here's the thing. Damien says Hamilton, Hamilton.
1: Right. Which is not a bad call. I. Uh, but one never knows. Wait, 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 wait.
0: wait. Stanley, Sidney, Stanley the third?
1: Sidney, the stat model. Damien. Damien. It's, it's Damien. Yeah. Well, we he, I mean that's his full name. We know him as Damien. <laughs> right. Him being excelsior- we're, we're we're tight like that. Yeah. I mean, we're not like the, the best of friends, <laughs> but yeah, I mean we we you know. It's love hate. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um I mean I'm I'm feeling pretty good about Ferrari though and of course that means Alonzo, not Massa. Um <laughs> right right. But I don't know if well enough to actually uh to actually you, call that. You're not that. quite
0: there to commit. I'm Can not you go sure. bold two times in a row Jim? Button was properly bold. I give you credit for that.
1: Yeah, would it be bold again though to do to do Button again? I mean I kind of want to be It uh, Wouldn't no, I mean I mean it
0: wouldn't be unbold. I mean because unbold it, it wouldn't not <laughs> <laughs> That is incorrect, my friend. <laughs> no, uh it wouldn't it would still be cuz i don't think he's in a lot of people's minds as like a top runner at the moment so but i mean the mclaren car has proven to be strong yet again at least in you know certain circumstances and button was stronger than hamilton in germany so it's not a. I mean, it's it's reasonably bold. I'd say reasonably bold.
1: i would say reasonably bold. Of right. course, that doesn't get me anything. I mean, I've either say right or it's not. And, and you some, seem to no be. You boldness. seem to be
0: wanting some kind of acceptance for me in the boldness. So I'm well, trying to offer you. Uh, some.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, this is this is one of the harder. This is the hardest prediction I can remember going because because it's. Uh, I really don't think re- we've seen the last of Red Bull. I don't think they're just going to fall off the map here.
0: Well, fall off the engine map. Oh, oh. <laughs> Hey-oh. Maybe they will. Maybe wow. the ride heights, uh, maybe they're going to fall off because the ride heights aren't right anymore. You that, know, maybe it's going to blow up. Maybe Christian Horner's been cheating this whole time. Yeah. They're oh, going to be kicked out of the are sport. Taken away.
1: Yeah, they won't, then, then we'll get lots if, of points If By the that. way,
0: if Red Bull is kicked out of the championship and you predicted Red Bull, you're just toast. We're not letting change. <laughs> so. I don't think they're going to get kicked out
1: of the championship. But who knows? Weirder things have happened. Um That said. Spit it out. Yeah. I, uh, phew. Um, I like I like Jensen for this again. Nice. I'm going wow. to go medium bold. You're going to go reasonably bold I'm here. i going to go like, kind of checks Mix bold, <laughs> like bold party blend, you know? <laughs> like not real bold. checks Mix But a little bold. bit bold.
0: Uh, Your turn. You're wrong. Okay. This is the time for change. And as uh, David Matchett uh, so eloquently, so eloquently said, Kimi Raikkonen is coming. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen, the Iceman, Man, is going to win in Spa.
1: And who's going to be on pole?
0: Kimi Raikkonen. Oh. He's going to win from poles. There sir. you go.
1: You that that's bold. I got to say because that is that is a winless team right now. That
0: is a winless team, but th- uh, I, the combination of their strong performances in uh, somewhat in Germany and definitely in the Hungary, and the fact that it's Spa and Kimi, I like that combination. I I'm I'm going to go for it.
1: Well, you're wrong, my friend, but I, I appreciate you're going bold, and
0: we'll see. So I another, was, yet another I was, time where something was I was ha- told I was wrong a week ago. I, just, I don't know just, if I actually
1: said that I think you know the hamilton is is a is a pretty strong uh,
0: deal, but well, now the Hamilton being a strong deal is that's, that's Damien might have Damien. chance I mean cause or right, maybe
1: not I mean we uh, never know Hamilton has also crashed out in lap one at uh, at spa this is very
0: true so you i know. mean and to be fair i mean i I have a little bit more of a cushion than you do here I mean I have hundred and fourteen points total. Um, You have 128, the stat model has 146. So we have, both of us, a little bit of a cushion here. Right. You've won this game four times. I've won it five times, which is kind of neat. And uh, the stat model, Mr. Damien, has only managed to win three times.
1: Well, there you go. So that's our prediction. If you haven't yet made your prediction, go to the Facebook page, which, of course, there's a link to from f1show.com, and you can click who you think is going to be there. And, uh, yeah, we're we're both outside the top ten, but not, not terribly far. You're actually in 13th place, which is quite good. Yay. And well ahead of me in 21st. And uh, the stat model is in 26th place overall out of the... Uh, couple hundred people, I think, that are actually uh, doing this on the Facebook page. And a quick shout-out to Darren Bowden, who is in first place and, uh, and hanging on to it and doing very well with his predictions.
0: So we are uh, going to make an attempt, and we're announcing this um, with just the tiniest bit of trepidation. We are going to make a very strong attempt to do a show during the summer break. Right. Exactly when, we're not sure, but we're really kind of anxious to uh, really stretch the legs of the stati- the statistics we've been doing all year. And uh, give you a mid-year teammate driver review, which is something we've been actually been talking about a little bit since June. So uh, we're hoping that's going to work out. We haven't quite sorted out when that's going to happen in our schedules yet, but we, we want to make a serious attempt for that. So hopefully you'll hear from us sometime in August, even though you won't hear from Formula One until right. September. So the bottom line is stay tuned, especially when there's no other F1 news coming out, because
1: we will give you some cool stuff to talk about, and it should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. So just, yeah, definitely uh, subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Um, Also, I guess a quick mention, I found another website. If uh, if you have any friends that are interested in F1 but are are anti-iTunes, and I know those people are out there, then uh, there's a site called podbay.fm which is a totally free service to use, and it gives you an interface. It's actually a lot like iTunes, but it's all in your web browser. You can find podcasts, including the F1 show, of course, yep. and listen to them right there. So uh, if you're you know, out on, on the road somewhere or whatever, don't have your normal computer, or someone that doesn't want to use iTunes, then definitely check it out because uh, it's a cool way to get podcasts. And you know, there should be no – I don't want any technical reasons for you guys to not listen to us and to, uh, to spread the word. So uh, that's just another way of, of getting at us. But – Stay tuned. Uh, any, any new episodes will always show up in the usual spots on F1Show.com and Facebook and all that. And till then, have a good summer break. I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner.
0: Enjoy your August.